0: Welcome to NTD News Today, I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. Ukraine's port city of Odessa hit with missiles and President Biden signs a World War II era Lend-Lease Program Bill that aims to increase military aid to Ukraine. Sweden builds up its defenses on the strategically located island of Gotland in response to the Russian invasion of Ukraine and considers joining NATO. The Alabama prison guard is dead and the inmate is in custody after a jailbreak and the manhunt that followed. We hear an update from an Alabama sheriff. Inflation is taking a big toll on small businesses by taking away some of consumers' disposable income. We hear from an executive at a business software company on strategies businesses can use to stay productive amid fears of a recession. Russia hit buildings in Ukraine's port city of Odessa with missiles on Monday. That's according to Ukrainian officials. The attack was carried out on Russia's Victory Day, a celebration of the defeat of Nazi Germany in World War II. today's
1: Jeremy Sandberg has the latest. In Ukraine's major Black Sea port, buildings in Odessa lay in ruins on Tuesday. Russia launched missiles hitting a shopping center in a depot, injuring five and killing one person according to Ukraine's armed forces. Emergency workers put out fires and searched through piles of rubble. In video footage released by Ukraine's State Emergency Service, NTD is not able to independently verify the authenticity or the date of the footage. Ukrainian officials say the missiles were fired from the Russian-controlled Crimea peninsula. This, a day after Russia's celebration of victory over the Nazis in World War II. Ukraine and its allies are increasing efforts to unblock ports and provide alternate routes for export for the major corn and wheat producing country. The World Health Organization European Chief says at least 3,000 avoidable deaths have been caused in Ukraine because of lack of access to treatments for chronic diseases. Around 200 attacks on healthcare facilities in Ukraine have taken place according to the WHO, leaving very few hospitals functioning. The hospitals left in operation are tending to life-threatening bullet, shrapnel and burn injuries. 40% of households have at least one member in need of chronic
2: treatment that they can no longer find.
1: WHO officials are investigating for possible war crimes and are considering closing a major regional office in Moscow, among other measures against Russia. It is a breach of international humanitarian law. Russia denies targeting civilians during the war. I was just talking to her about President Joe Biden signed a bipartisan bill to reset the World War II era lend-lease program I, uh, that helped defeat Nazi Germany, I'm with an aim to reinforce Kyiv and, and Eastern European allies.
3: And, uh, to reaffirm the enduring commitment to a future grounded in democracy, human rights, and peaceful resolution of disagreements, I'm now going to sign this bill.
1: The legislation will streamline U.S. military assistance to Ukraine by easing requirements to lend or lease military equipment to Kyiv. It will also ensure the U.S. is reimbursed. The bill comes as U.S. Congress is proposing another $40 billion in aid to Ukraine with another COVID-19-related funding bill to come. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. European
0: Union members could reach a deal this week banning all oil imports from Russia. That's according to a statement today from French European Affairs Minister Clement Bone. One major holdout on the deal is Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban. According to Bone, French President Emmanuel Macron was due to talk to Orban sometime today. The Hungarian leader compared banning Russian oil to dropping an atomic bomb on Hungary's economy. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen said on Monday she made progress in talks with Orban. Rice farming has returned to Crimea after a canal was opened providing an essential water source. It's been eight years since the crop was cultivated in the area after the waterway was blocked. Here's more on that story.
4: Rice will grow on this farmland for the first time in eight years. The crop is making a return to Crimea after the North Crimean Canal was opened. Rice is a thirsty plant, so an adequate water source is essential for cultivation.
5: One of the difficulties was the preparation of the irrigation system, since for eight years it was not cultivated and too much plant growth was there. But we weeded it out a bit during the eight years, cleared it a bit. Therefore, no matter how hard it was for us, we did it all quickly.
4: Initially, agricultural companies plan to grow rice for seeds so they have enough seeding material for next season. They will only grow rice long term again if there is market demand. In 2014, after Russia annexed Crimea, Ukraine stopped water flow to the canal, which had previously supplied 85 percent of the peninsula's water needs. But when Russian troops took control over the area near the city of Kherson earlier this year, they unblocked the canal. For the last eight years, farmers had to switch to other crops and relied on government subsidies to survive. Rice has been cultivated in Crimea since the 1960s. In 2013, the fields covered by rice totaled over 33,000 acres of land, according to the local Ministry of Agriculture.
6: The income from rice cultivation is much higher than from all other grain crops. Therefore, for the agricultural organizations that used to be engaged in rice before 2014, this is a very important event today, when they have the opportunity to restore their former areas, restore the former volumes of rice cultivation.
4: Apart from being a highly profitable crop, locals believe it is also of high quality. Water will be supplied to the companies for free during the first year. Subsidies for electricity used to pump the water are also being planned.
0: As Sweden prepares for the possibility of joining NATO, the strategically placed island of Gotland is bolstering its defenses once again. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details.
7: Sweden withdrew its forces from Gotland following the collapse of the Soviet Union three decades ago. Now the Scandinavian nation is hastily rebuilding its military presence on the island.
5: We are in a growth phase in which we have the so-called capability increase. There will be more soldiers and more activity on the continent because we have to build a bigger and better military capacity due to the current situation.
7: The 105-mile-long rocky outcrop in the middle of the Baltic Sea lies just 186 miles from the home of Russia's Baltic fleet. In 2018, it reactivated the Army's Gotland Regiment and has also reinforced the island's defense with ground-to-air missiles. The buildup was sparked by Russia's annexation of Crimea in
8: 2014.
5: In the short term, the military situation would improve for Sweden and Gotland because the threshold effect to attack a NATO country is higher for Russia, in this case, than to attack a country that is not part of NATO.
7: Many locals are volunteering with the Home Guard. Camilla Selander, a deli counter worker, squeezed off shots during target practice.
6: Yes, people are a bit worried, but we're trying to keep everybody calm so that we can talk about what is happening and tell each other that it will be fine.
7: Russian troops briefly occupied Gotland in 1808. The island is seen as important to the defense of Sweden and NATO's vulnerable Baltic members, Latvia, Lithuania and Estonia.
9: If the Russians would Occupy parts of Sweden. That would create some kind of, let's call it a wall, that NATO would have to fight its way through before being able to help its Baltic members.
7: Russia's invasion of Ukraine has forced Sweden and neighboring Finland to rethink security policy and whether they can remain safe outside NATO. Both countries are expected to decide whether to apply for membership in the 30 nation alliance in May. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: After a 10-day manhunt, the prison guard and inmate who escaped from jail in Alabama have been captured. According to reports, the corrections officer, Vicki White, was found injured. She later died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. The inmate, Casey White, surrendered himself without incident late Monday in Indiana. The sheriff of Lauderdale County, Alabama, Rick Singleton, said he didn't know why they were in Indiana.
3: He's going to stay in chains and handcuffs. And, um, you know, when he leaves that facility, I guarantee you there are going to be two deputies with him. And, um, you know, he's not going to get out of this jail again. But I don't want to hear any longer he has to be.
0: The two had been on the run since April 29th. They were not related, but were said to have been in a romantic relationship. A nationwide manhunt ensued for the two after Vicki White claimed she was taking the inmate to a mental evaluation. Law enforcement were in pursuit of Casey White when the vehicle he was driving crashed, according to the sheriff. Singleton shares his reaction to the outcome. I, I'm, I'm
3: very disappointed that it ended this way with Vicky taking her life. Uh, that's not something we would have wished on her. Uh, we did want her to come back here and face the charges. Um, you know, knowing Vicky the way we've known her over the last uh, several years, uh, I think uh, as much concern to her about coming back and facing charges, I think what really bothered her more was coming back and facing her family and friends. Uh, you know, she betrayed her coworkers. Uh, she betrayed the sheriff's office. And uh, knowing her like I did, I, I don't think she could bear the thought of coming back here and facing us.
0: Marshalls released photos of what is believed to be the fugitive's getaway car before Vicki White's death, the sheriff told reporters the pursuit lasted less than a few minutes. Singleton said the marshal's task force intercepted them and crashed into them to end the chase. At that point, the corrections officer shot herself and the inmate was injured. The sheriff's department released security camera footage of the pair's stay at a hotel around the time of the jailbreak. It shows Vicki and Casey White at a Quality Inn hotel in Florence, Alabama on Thursday, April 28th. Casey White had been charged with capital murder in 2020 in connection with a stabbing death five years prior. He was awaiting trial when he broke out of jail. At the time, he was serving a 75-year sentence for a crime spree he committed in 2015. That involved carjacking, home invasion, and a police chase. The trial begins for a man who drove a car into multiple pedestrians in Times Square in 2017. He killed a woman and injured 22 other people. His trial was delayed multiple times over five years. Richard Rojas is now 31 years old. His defense lawyers say he lost his mind at the time of the incident and has a history of mental illness. The prosecution says Rojas had to know what was happening, but he didn't stop. Prosecutors also mentioned that his first words to a traffic agent after he crashed his car were, quote, I wanted to kill them all. The trial is expected to take several months and include testimony from surviving victims. The woman who died was an 18-year-old from Michigan. She was on a family trip. Her 13-year-old sister was injured. Rojas pleaded not guilty at his 2017 arraignment and has been held in jail at New York City's notorious Rikers Island. Jury selection continued Monday for the sentencing of tr- trial of Parkland shooter Nicholas Cruz. It was paused a week ago due to the absence of the lead defense attorney. The jury selection process has been a messy one since it began last month. It was recently stalled by confusion over the jury pool and whether dozens of potential jurors were dismissed incorrectly. Once selected, jurors will decide whether to recommend the death penalty for Cruz. He pleaded guilty to 17 counts of murder and 17 counts of attempted murder in the 2018 shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. The sentencing trial is expected to start in June and last several weeks. Two sisters were killed in their tiny South Carolina town in 2010. Now family members want to know why the man who confessed to their slangs has suddenly shown back up in the community. Court records show 43-year-old Joseph Brand was found incompetent to stand trial on two murder charges in 2012. He was sent off to a state hospital to get treatment. If his mental condition improved, he was supposed to return to jail and await trial. Instead, Brand showed up free in King's Tree a few months ago. His charges are no longer listed in public records. As the abortion debate continues, the U.S. Senate is expected to vote this week on a bill that would legalize abortion nationwide. NTD's Molina Wisecup has more on that and how voters are feeling about this issue leading up to the midterms.
10: Democrats have ramped up their calls to take action in Congress to cement abortion laws. Uh, To vote for codifying Roe v. Wade. Uh, We are not giving up, we will never give in, and we will keep fighting. And if the American people are paying attention, this issue will also be on the ballot in November. And with midterm elections around the corner, will this issue be a top priority for voters? The
11: issues that would affect my voting would be um, the economy, Just to make it and make sure I can provide for my family and
10: have a home and um, education for my kids. Just two out of 21 people said abortion access is on their minds as they head to the polls.
0: Uh, The next time I vote, one of the major issues that I'm considering is the um, reversal of the abortion ban.
10: While many pro-abortion advocates say abortion is about women's rights, one woman says there's more to it.
11: I've actually, myself, had abortions in my life. Um, That was during a very dark time in my life. Like all these people that are against the overturn of this, do they know? Have they had one? Do they know what it feels like? I don't think that they do. So I do support um, the overturn of the Roe v. Wade.
10: The conservative majority court could overturn the ruling as early as next month. But Congressional Democrats have another plan. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has teed up a vote for this Wednesday that would legalize abortion nationwide. And the vote on this measure this week will not pass because Senate Democrats do not have the 10 Republican votes needed in order to pass it. They're mainly using it as a way to force senators to go on record to show exactly where they stand on abortion rights. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskopf, NTD News.
0: And now the Senate is ramping up security for the families of Supreme Court justices. This as protests have erupted outside of conservative justices' homes over the past few days. A new bipartisan bill would allow the Supreme Court police to provide around-the-clock protection to their family members. The bill passed the Senate last night and now goes to the House of Representatives. And on the topic of the Supreme Court leak, in addition to supporters of abortion protesting outside the homes of Chief Justice Roberts and Justice Kavanaugh over the weekend, Republicans are looking to codify the leaked draft opinion into law. Our next guest offers insight on how a group dedicated to protecting human rights is reacting to the leak. Joining us now is Christina Bennett, who is a news correspondent at Live Action and a pro-life activist. Thank you for making the time, Christina.
11: Thank you for having me.
0: So what is Live Action's response to the leak of the Supreme Court draft opinion that would overturn Roe v. Wade?
11: Well, first of all, we think that it's horrible that this leak happened in the first place. And we believe that it happened because someone is trying to intimidate the justices. Someone is trying to put public pressure on the justices to change their minds. And we are hoping and believing that will not happen. And so we condemn the fact that the leak happened in the first place but at the same time, looking at what was written by Justice Alito is encouraging as he is standing up for life, for the lives of the preborn. So the actual leak, although we wish that it hadn't happened, it's encouraging to see what he has written.
0: And your colleague at Live Action, Lila Rose, has tweeted that the 14th Amendment guarantee of equal protection and due process should make abortion illegal nationwide. What's your reaction to this?
11: Absolutely, there is a misunderstanding of the 14th Amendment. People believe that that guarantees a right to privacy in terms of people aborting their pre-born children. And that is so far from the truth. The 14th Amendment does not guarantee any sort of <laughs> right to privacy for dismembering of children. In fact, the 14th Amendment has to do with justice and equality, particularly for people of color. African-Americans like myself who were once an- enslaved. The 14th Amendment has to do with granting them all the benefits that they deserve as Americans. And so it's very tragic that this amendment was taken in 1970s and falsely used to establish a so-called right to privacy, which is really just an excuse to, to kill children in the womb.
0: Well, in light of this leaked draft opinion, people in the pro-choice camp say criminalizing abortion will not stop abortions. It'll just make them less safe. What do you think of this?
11: I honestly, I have a lot of empathy for women who are seeking abortions. I used to work for a pregnancy resource center, and I met with women who were scared and frightened and considering abortion. My own mother walked out of her abortion appointment. She actually ran out of the office after a janitor talked to her and saved my life at the 11th hour. So I have a lot of empathy for women who are scared. But the reality is that when you ban abortion, it opens up all sorts of different avenues and opportunities for women to seek care in other ways there are thousands of pregnancy resource centers all across the country that are supporting and helping women There are adoption agencies there's maternity homes there's so many people engaged in the pro-life movement who are there to help and aid women and support them so they don't have to try to seek an abortion in a different way even before roe versus wade was legal bernard nathanson from nara which is a pro-abortion rights group he drastically exaggerated the number of women who are dying from illegal abortions. And I think that same thing is happening now because it's a fear tactic in order for people to continue to support abortion rights.
0: Christina Bennett, news correspondent Live Action, thank you so much for your time.
11: Thank you for having me.
0: Inflation is taking a big toll on small businesses across the country. Our next guest from a software company explains what business owners should look out for and what resources may help them. Joining us now is Grant Freeman, the Chief Customer Officer of Thrive. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Grant. Thank you for having me, Kevin. Great to be here. Now, the CEO of the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta says the Fed can increase interest rates about a half point a couple of times and see how the economy and inflation respond, and then they can decide if there's more to be needed at that time. How would this affect small businesses?
2: Well, I mean, hopefully if it works, it would affect them in a positive way. But, uh, you know, I think one of the chief concerns is any time that there's any kind of inflationary period, it has a direct impact on small businesses. As, As you're well aware, there is... You know, and has been a lot of money uh, in the market available that people have been using to really, whether it's beautify their homes or or just spend more in general. Um, And that's been sort of a booming economy for small businesses, but now I think that there's a fear that the belts might start to tighten a little bit um, and that people that had disposable income will now be less willing to spend it, right?
0: And Grant, according to CNBC, about eight out of 10 small businesses are predicting a recession will hit the economy this year. How can they be prepared for this? Yeah, you know i
2: think that you'd have to look at places that you can a maybe still find some savings in the way that you run your daily business operations um i think there's a lot of uh you know fat there still when it comes to small businesses who are operating more in an analog world and need to move to a digital world i think that's one way but also you know i think there's there's a lot of things to be said for the creativity of small businesses at this time if i could share a really quick story Um, Obviously I interact with small businesses on a daily basis. You have to look at new ways that are more profitable to generate revenue. We had a, you know, there's a lot of supply chain issues as you know, over the course of the past couple of months. And we were dealing with a garage floor company. You know, those nice epoxy floors, Kevin, they couldn't get epoxy. And when they could find it, it was far too expensive. And what they would have to charge customers Customers weren't taking it, so they altered their business model and added a new stream of revenue that was more uh, profitable, which was garage cleanouts. So I share that story to say that the nimble nature of small businesses can be something that really helps it through a time where inflation has an adverse impact on you know their cost structure and their
0: profitability. Certainly, these business owners need to be dynamic right now. How can software help them at this current time?
2: Yeah, so I think that when it comes to software, you you can help maximize the efficiencies of the employees that you have. And it can also mean that even if you start to increase business a little bit more, the software can mean that you don't have to go hire other people in a very challenging labor market right now. So the automation of tasks is massive. The ability to afford people the opportunity to do things like schedule with you online and not have to call and talk to somebody also helps you realize efficiencies. And Just helping you get found easier, manage jobs in a more efficient way, ensure that people show up uh, to to jobs that they booked with you, um, and then helping you get paid faster as well. Those are some of the chief ways that software can really help you realize more efficiencies. The last thing I'd say on that point, Kevin, which is really important, one of the most expensive things for small businesses to do is generate brand new customers. As you can imagine, marketing is a big cost of theirs, and that is going up through the roof as well, leaving many of them in the dust. But one way that you can be more efficient with a a great piece of software that has marketing automation especially is to really farm the customers that you already have. It's the most affordable way to generate additional new revenue from the current customer base. So that's another example of how, you know, sort of getting clouded or going digital can help your business thrive.
0: Grant Freeman, Chief Customer Officer at Thrive, thank you so much for your time.
2: Thank you very much, Kevin. I appreciate it.
0: Stealing car parts, it's apparently a big problem in Colorado. The state's legislature has passed a bill seeking to address an alarming increase in catalytic converter thefts. The bill targets so-called motor vehicle chop shops. Current law in Colorado requires them to keep detailed records showing all transactions involving commodity metals. Senate Bill 9 expands the scope of duties of a task force to include catalytic converter and commodity metals theft. The Colorado Theft Prevention Authority says thefts of catalytic converters that contain valuable commodity metals rose 5,000 percent from 2019 to 2021. The National Insurance Crime Bureau says catalytic converter thefts increased in the U.S. since the start of the pandemic. A catalytic converter converts harmful exhaust emitted by an engine into less toxic gases, but they are often made with the valuable metals platinum and palladium. The top five states for catalytic converter thefts are California, Texas, Minnesota, North Carolina, and Illinois. A landslide in Alaska covered a roadway and cut off road access for scores of people. Dozens of evergreen trees, as well as rocks and dirt, toppled into an Alaska bay. The landslide occurred about a half mile south of downtown Seward. City Manager Jeanette Bauer said there were no injuries in the Saturday evening slide. Contractors are using heavy equipment to clear the debris starting at the top and working down to the roadway. Part of the work created additional slides within the original slide, slowing the process. The entire landslide measured 200 feet long by 300 feet wide and could take up to two weeks to clear, Bauer estimated. The slide has prevented about 200 residents and tourists from reaching Seward. There is a tiny community south of the slide called Lowell Point on the west side of Resurrection Bay, a 17-mile-long body of water that leads to the Gulf of Alaska. Coming up, following safety concerns over wildfires, several western regions are moving toward drone displays as opposed to traditional fireworks. Times Square, New York turns into another popular tourist destination. We get special visitors from across the pond. Find out more right here on NTD News. One of the greatest mysteries of our time, and for the first time in decades, a House panel will hold a public hearing on the topic, UFOs. The open congressional hearing is set for next Tuesday morning. House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff said it would give the public an opportunity to hear directly from experts and leaders in the intelligence community. The hearing will be followed by a closed, classified hearing on a Pentagon program that was recently established. The program was created last year after the U.S. intelligence community released an assessment of nearly 150 reports of unidentified aerial phenomena since 2004. Only one of the reports could be explained. This year, some communities will use drones instead of fireworks to create a celebratory display come Independence Day. It's a trend gaining momentum due to safety concerns, especially concerning wildfires. Here are the details.
4: When the Caldor Fire raced toward the southern shore of Lake Tahoe last year, its 100-foot flames spread across the tree canopy. It has prompted the region to consider safer alternatives to the traditional firework displays. Incline Village in the neighboring California towns of Kings Beach and Tahoe City switched to drones after the devastating
1: fire. People have figured out that it is, you know, a very fire-friendly, safe, Um, version of uh, celebrating the 4th of July and other celebrations.
4: The fire burned for 69 days, scorched over 200,000 acres, enforcing the evacuation of 50,000
3: people. Some towns now completely reject fireworks as a wildfire risk. So we we looked at the safety issues uh, around uh, fireworks, you know, I, I kind of look at the concept of lighting, lighting, you know, throwing lit objects up into the sky. And is that the best thing to do at the height of the fire season? So there's a safety issue. Chapman added, there's also an environmental and sustainability factor. Some of the debris that does happen that lands in the water that we have cleaned up every time we've done these in the past. But there are some environmental issues with the debris that does get into the water. And that lake is our drinking water. A typical drone show has dozens
4: or hundreds of tiny lit flying machines choreographed to music, forming improbable and multicolored designs. Julie Heckman, executive director of the American Pyrotechnics Association, says drones are not yet considered a serious threat to fireworks displays.
10: When you think of traditional fireworks, it's a multi sensory experience. You know, we want to see them burst in the sky, we want to hear them, we want to feel that concussion in our chest. And if we're close enough, we might just smell the smoke. Where drones, you have a visual effect, but you don't get that multi-sensory experience.
4: Despite amounting to a mere fraction of July 4th displays scheduled this year, around half a dozen drone companies in the close-knit industry are collaborating to help meet demand.
0: One of the biggest tourist destinations in the world took over Times Square on Monday in an effort to attract New Yorkers and visitors alike back to its city. And today's Phil Zoe has more from Times Square.
12: We're in the heart of Times Square, but doesn't the scene behind me look like we're in London? Especially with this black iconic taxi. That's because we're at the event London Times Square Takeover.
13: My message to Americans is, uh, London is open, let's do London. Well, We have just launched the
6: biggest invitation to London that the world has ever seen.
13: The mayor of London,
12: Sadiq Khan, is launching a $10 million tourism campaign to attract visitors back to his city. I asked Mr. Khan why he decided to make New York City his first stop.
13: From the East Coast to the West Coast, what we really want is Americans to re-experience the city they uh, love. We've got great connections with uh, New York. We're kindred spirits. We're both global cities.
12: And the London mayor came prepared.
13: Uh, the Queens let me borrow some of her Coldstream Guards. They'll be here uh, today to get a taste a vignette of what London has to offer. But also we've got world-class theater in the West End. Uh, you'll see in a moment the fantastic uh, musical Six uh, Award. Been already, nominated today for eight Tony Awards.
12: Laura Citrin is the CEO of London and Partners. She's leading the Let's Do London campaign.
13: For
6: tourists from around the world, you don't need to fill in a form, you don't need to take a test, just come on visit us. We have over 100 flights a day.
12: Citrin told me visitors will be delighted to know London is one of the greenest cities on the planet.
6: You can come to London, wake up in the morning, go for a long run or a cycle in one of our beautiful parks. Some of them even have wild deer and then just head straight into the city.
12: Earlier in the day, New York's mayor welcomed Mr. Khan to the Big Apple. London's economy lost over $7 billion in 2020 because of pandemic travel restrictions. This is the first time Mr. Khan has visited the U.S. since 2016. He'll be traveling to the West Coast before returning to London. Phil Zoe, NTD News, Times Square.
0: Still to come, food and medical shortages in Shanghai have sparked more protests after the city was put on strict lockdown for more than a month. Multiple deaths have been reported, including foreigners. And the son of a former dictator wins the presidential election in the Philippines. Find out how Ferdinand Marcos Jr. brought his family's name back to power right here on NTD News. China and Russia have been barred from a major military trade show in Sydney. It's known as the Indo-Pacific 2022 International Maritime Exposition. China, in the past, was invited to the conference, but not so this year. The Royal Australian Navy cited deteriorating relations. Russia was also not invited in response to the war in Ukraine. The exhibition will be running from May 10th to the 12th in Sydney's Darling Harbour will feature the latest technology and products from around 700 exhibitors, including undersea warfare and drones. The three-day conference will also address the Beijing-Solomon Islands Security Pact. That agreement could open the door to the presence of Chinese naval forces in the South Pacific. Although the Solomon Islands denies such claims, a recent leak revealed that Chinese authorities are encouraging the building of ports, shipbuilding facilities, and clean energy development in the country. A federal judge has sentenced a China-born American chemist to 14 years in prison for stealing trade secrets, engaging in economic espionage, and committing fraud. Besides the jail term, the Justice Department says 60-year-old Yo Xiaorong was ordered to serve three years of supervised release and pay a $200,000 fine. Yo worked at Coca-Cola in Atlanta as a principal engineer and Eastman Chemical Company in Tennessee. During this time, she acquired access to valuable trade secrets. The secrets were related to BPA-free coatings used on the inside of beverage cans. She was using that information to set up a company in China. Evidence indicates Yeo intended to use the stolen technology to benefit her Chinese corporate partner and the Chinese regime. Shanghai is tightening its already strict lockdown to hit China's zero-COVID target, but the policy is fueling strong public opposition more protests are popping up in Shanghai. The city
8: has been under strict lockdown measures for over a month. Food shortages and lack of medical care have triggered anger among the city's 26 million population.
11: <laughs>
8: On Saturday in Shanghai's Zhuanqiao area, a fight broke out between residents requesting food and people dressed in full-body personal protective equipment. Those wearing the white suits could be serving a number of different functions. Some of them may be volunteers distributing food. Some may be policemen or soldiers brought in to enforce lockdown rules. Residents posted details about the conflict on social media. They say it all started when a young man and resident shouted at the law enforcement and workers from his home requesting food. His comments reportedly provoked them, prompting them to go upstairs to silence the man. That's when other residents stepped in. The issue developed to a fight, with residents on one side and law enforcement and pandemic workers on the other. During the tussle, some residents went downstairs and tried to rush out of the building's gate. That's as law enforcement tried to hold the door closed. After a brief struggle, the residents managed to get out. Many of them went up with the police officers and violence broke out. Some of the officers were seen fleeing the scene, with residents chasing them down the street. Residents in other nearby buildings were heard egging on the scuffle, encouraging the freed residents to beat up the police and pandemic workers. The next day, local authorities issued an announcement. It stated that residents in the building had sufficient food at home, ...suggesting there was no reason to protest. The announcement went on to say that those who led the protest were provoking trouble and had been detained. Authorities also urged other residents to cooperate with the local COVID-19 measures. More tragedies in Shanghai amid extended lockdown orders. One man was found dead at his Shanghai home earlier this month. His neighbor broke the news through China's Twitter equivalent Weibo adding that an eyewitness said when he died, he was all skin and bones. The deceased was a 58-year-old man living alone. He was last seen by his neighbor on April 12th, when the city's second food distribution began. But a week later, the man told his neighbor he couldn't get out of bed. His neighbor contacted the local neighborhood committee, hoping they could send someone to help. But no one came. He was never seen again until almost two weeks later, when he was found dead leaning against his door. In the post on Weibo, his neighbor wrote just one visit from the neighborhood committee would have saved him. The post was immediately removed, seemingly censored by Chinese authorities. More reports from Shanghai indicate Chinese citizens aren't the only ones struggling to cope under lockdown. So far, two confirmed deaths of foreigners living in the financial hub have come to light. A 40-year-old South Korean man was found dead at home in Shanghai. South Korea's biggest portal site, Naver.com, reported the news last week. The cause of his death is unknown. He's said to have had a heart condition. Last month, a 29-year-old woman from South Africa was also found dead at home in Shanghai. Her cause of death is unknown. According to a South African media outlet, the woman was an English teacher. She had worked in Shanghai since 2017. Since lockdown orders took effect, she had been working from home while keeping in contact with her family in South Africa. But one Sunday in mid-April, her family could
0: no longer reach her. Ferdinand Marcos Jr. clinched a stunning runaway victory in the Philippines' presidential election on Monday. It's the first win by a majority since a 1986 revolution that topped his late father's two-decade dictatorship. Please note, the following footage contains graphic images.
14: Ferdinand Marcos Jr. clinched a stunning landslide victory in the Philippines' presidential election on Monday, bringing the son of a former dictator back to lead the nation. An unofficial tally showed Marcos, popularly known as Bongbong, with more than double the votes of his closest rival, setting the stage for a once unthinkable return to rule of the Marcos family 36 years after its retreat into exile during a people power uprising. Supporters in Manila cheered as news came in. Marcos has presented no real policy platform, campaigning on a simple but ambiguous message of unity. Marcos was criticized for skipping presidential debates and made few media appearances during his campaign, enabling him to limit scrutiny and control his message via a network of influencers and bloggers. Critics say the campaign sought to discredit historical accounts of cronyism, plunder and brutality during the two-decade Marcos' senior dictatorship, about half of which was under martial law. The Marcos family denies siphoning off billions of dollars of state wealth during its time at the helm of what opponents say was one of Asia's most famous kleptocracies. That regime ended in 1986, before many of Marcos Jr.'s supporters were born. Some are convinced those past narratives were lies invented by his opponents. His presidency is expected to continue the policies of outgoing leader Rodrigo Duterte, whose ruthless, strongman approach proved popular helping him to consolidate power.
0: Coming up, Australian police launch an investigation after finding over 100 pounds of what could be 14 million dollars worth of cocaine near the body of a dead diver. The trial starts for a Yemeni airline whose plane crashed on the way to the African nation of Comoros. The crash's only survivor is attending the trial and hopes the truth can finally be known. We'll have more for you in just a minute after this short break. Australian police launched a probe after 110 pounds of suspected cocaine, worth around $14 million, was found near a body by a riverbank. The man was found lying unconscious near the Hunter River at Newcastle, a city just north of Sydney. Despite paramedics treating the man, he died at the scene. New South Wales Police Detective Superintendent Robert Critchlow spoke after a probe was launched on Tuesday.
3: A large amount of what we believe are drugs were located not far from the dead man. And uh, inquiries are continuing as to where those drugs came from, whether this man had any links to it at all.
0: He said that investigators searched an overseas registered ship docked near the crime scene. Two small boats were reportedly seen near the vessel Sunday night and authorities sought the public's help to identify them. A human avalanche killed at least four students and injured over 50 after a tear gas grenade exploded inside a university auditorium in Bolivia setting off a stampede of people. The incident took place at the Tomas Frias University in Potosi. Video from the incident shows students crowded amid the tear gas cloud while others helped the injured escape. Five of the injured were still in intensive care on Monday afternoon. Potosí's police chief says someone launched a triple-action tear gas grenade. He said the people who ran ahead first trying to escape were trampled and beaten down, causing a human avalanche. Merco Press says Bolivian authorities arrested three people who they believe are connected to the grenade attack. The students were gathered in an auditorium for upcoming campus elections at the time of the tragedy. The lone survivor of a 2009 plane crash attended the opening of the Paris trial of Yemen's main airline. At just 12 years old, Bahia Bakari held on for 11 hours in the Indian Ocean before being rescued. The plane was on its way to the small African nation of Comoros in the Indian Ocean. Bakari is now 25. She says people need to finally know the truth. The 2009 Yemeni flight left from Paris and made stops in southern France and then changed aircrafts in Yemen before continuing to Comoros. The passenger jet crashed about nine miles off the coast of Comoros. A lawyer for the victims' families says that French authorities allowed an airline to fly passengers to Yemen on board planes that complied with safety regulations. He asks why they are then allowed to fly from Yemen to the Comoros on board planes he describes as flying coffins. French aviation investigators found that a pilot error was the cause of the crash. Yemenia has denied responsibility. Coming up in London, city farms gained popularity as safe outside spaces during the pandemic, and they've remained a big hit for families and corporate volunteering. A young Albanian violin maker keeps tradition alive and sells his pieces to distributors and musicians all over the world, but won't mention any names. Find out more after the short break. Easter always proves a busy time for London City Farms as visitors flock to see the newborn animals and even more so this year after many of the farms gained popularity as safe outside spaces during the pandemic.
7: It's springtime at Stepney City Farm in London's Tower Hamlets and the farm's chief executive, Claire Hawkins, is out to feed the animals.
13: Easter and spring generally is the most exciting time of the year for us. Um, It's the time where we have lambs and goats and chicks on the farm and everybody wants to come and visit them. Um, We also have all of the new crops growing on the farm. Um, There's um, lots of color.
7: The farm became a big draw during the pandemic, both for its animals as well as its food supplies.
13: Lots of people in Tower Hamlets don't have any access to a garden of their own and during the pandemic it was particularly difficult for people being stuck inside so the farm provided somewhere where you could come and buy produce and also plants that you could grow on your own balcony.
7: It's also become a hit for local companies looking for safe activities for staff, some of whom are still working remotely.
13: We are definitely noticing more interest, Um, there's a huge number of corporate um, organizations who want to come and do away days at the farm this year, a lot of people are actually still working at home or working in a hybrid way so um, we're having teams at the moment who um, have actually never met each other in person before.
7: Phoebe Ferrer's company sent some of its team here to bond outside the office and volunteer.
13: So our company's organized volunteering, uh, so we've come out from our company today to help uh, restore the farm's flower flowerbeds. Uh, so we're doing this just to uh, show a bit of appreciation for the community, um, but also it's nice team-building-wise. We're getting to know each other, so we're really enjoying that, and it's nice to be out of the office in the fresh air.
7: What's more, the farm offers educational programs and is especially popular with families and children. And to top it off, it's home to a farmer's market on Saturdays. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: In Albania, the younger generation is keeping a special musical tradition alive, the art of making violins and cellos. Crafting the instruments requires highly skilled professionals and a lot of time. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on how they're made.
7: For early Gura, it takes a month of work to make a violin, and up to six months for a cello. He's one of two young violin makers creating them in Albania.
9: For me, it was a little bit easy to follow this um, uh, this passion of mine because uh, my father is a restorer, a piano tuner, and uh, I was grown uh, between uh, every kind of instruments, music instrument. And it was uh, quite uh, easy to fall in love with the violin.
7: Gura was lucky to attend lectures and gain work experience with well-known names in the field but he says his imagination is a key part of the process as well.
9: Well, it's, it's a little bit difficult to explain uh, because uh, making a new instrument, it has uh, everything uh, what I feel about uh, the sound and how I uh, imagine in my mind that the violin will sound and the violin will, will, will play.
7: Constructing the instruments begins with a unique relationship between Gura and his materials.
9: How to make uh, some uh, a piece of the violin and uh, i think it's like a a cohesion between what i'm feeling and what the ouds uh, expresses to me
7: he uses maple and spruce wood as raw material sourced from bosnia and the italian alps and that level of quality comes with a price tag his finished violins sell for around nine thousand dollars and his cellos cost eighteen thousand dollars
9: it's quite a difficult job because I'm listening to the wood all the time. Uh, I'm feeling the vibrations and I'm feeling the acoustics and uh, uh, this thing helps me to uh, continue working or to stop working.
7: Gura has sold instruments to musicians and dealers from all over the world, but he won't mention any names, saying only that he has sold in Italy, Britain, France, the U.S., China, Japan, and Argentina. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: There are plenty of natural ways to reverse gray hair. Here's Gina Marie who brings us Strong Mind and Body.
6: Your hair will naturally turn gray or white with age, but some experience premature graying. If this does occur, your diet may be lacking in nutrients. When addressing nutritional deficiencies, there are three things to consider, diet, toxic load and ability to assimilate nutrients in other words your gut health the foundation of all health is a truly healthy diet what you need to aim for is a whole food diet this includes high amounts of fresh organic produce with more vegetables than fruits one large salad per day filled with a variety of vegetables can change your health you will be giving your body the nutrients it needs to fuel and repair itself A healthy diet eliminates processed foods along with all artificial flavors, colors, preservatives, MSG, GMOs, trans fats, high fructose corn syrup, refined sugar and limits caffeine. It includes healthy fats rich in omega-3s and plenty of pure spring water. Search finderspring.com to find your local spring. A great diet can only go so far when the body is filled with toxic sludge. We live in the most toxic environment humans have ever endured. I'm talking about plastics, heavy metals, vaccines, dental fillings, pesticides, herbicides, pharmaceuticals, and the list goes on. Once or twice a year we need to detox, but it helps if we incorporate foods like garlic and cilantro into our daily diet with lots of pure, clean spring water like I just mentioned. When we do so, we are detoxing a little each day. Let's look at gut health. If your gut is sick and inflamed, you are suffering from what is called leaky gut syndrome. Gluten and candida usually go hand-in-hand in breaking down the biofilm that lines the gut. Candida actually can drill holes right through the healthy tissue. The result? Proteins and other substances leak into the bloodstream without going through the proper digestive processes. This infiltration leads to allergies, autoimmune diseases, and other disease. And as the gut breaks down, our ability to absorb nutrients is lost. So there you have it. Improve your diet, lessen your toxic load, and strengthen your gut health. These are important aspects to consider when trying to slow the graying of your hair. 1998
0: marked the first year of partnership between Chopard and the Cannes Film Festival. In commemoration, the co-president and artistic director redesigned the Palme d'Or, the film festival's highest honor. Simultaneously marking the anniversary of this partnership and the film festival's 75th anniversary, it was specifically redesigned for the 2022 festival. The trophy was for the first time created by the luxury brands, High Jewelry Workshops in Geneva. It was marked by a delicate palm frond made of highly polished 18 karat yellow gold resting on a rock-crystal, cushion-shaped base. The bottom of the palm stem features a heart, which is Chopard's symbol. Albeit subtle, the change was a five-year project and successfully unites the two anniversaries. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to put our email on screen. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.